Lord, as we yeah, sing worship, Lord, make a, uh, I pray we'd make noise, we'd be unashamed in lifting your praise and your name high. Amen. All right, guys, should we get on our feet? We've got, um, got some dancing numbers in here, isn't it?
before you this morning. And all of this is for your glory, oh God. And oh God, we know that this brings a smile to your face when we sing to you. That we, insignificant as we are, change your face, oh God. That you love to hear us. Oh God, this is, this is your passion. Bringing glory to God, oh God. That everything happened for you, oh God. Everything happened to glorify you and you were already glorious, oh God. You didn't need this. And yet you chose by your grace to reveal yourself, just to reveal glory to us, to reveal your son, Jesus Christ, to us. So this morning we can come, we can sing his name, we can shout his praise. That all of this, this whole world is for your glory, oh God. song we sung uh, declared that God is good and this morning I read this in the book of James I read this in the book of James these wonderful words about God it says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change now I was just struck me again this beautiful autumn morning that everything good that we enjoy in this life every beautiful morning, every breath, every hug from a friend, every cup of tea, every, every moment we live is all a gift from God. Every moment of goodness we enjoy is all an extension of, of His ultimate goodness. He's the source of all that is good. And we declare that today, God, that You are good. God, that everything good that we enjoy, every breath that we enjoy is all a gift of grace from You. Everything that we may call good and perfect in this world is is it flows from you, the ultimate source of all that is good and beautiful and wonderful and perfect. God, we love you. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this day. Lord, we say that you are Lord, you are sovereign, and you are good. We love you, God. Amen. Amen. Guys, you want to take a seat? Um, 
We are going to hand over to, to Ben. Uh, Ben's going to preach to us. It's a little bit, uh, the sermon's a little bit earlier today than usual. If you are a young person uh, in, your, in your teens, your kind of secondary school age, then you're going to go and hang out with Sam and Dan today. You're at the very back. Um, so guys, you can head over there now. And uh, I'm going to hand over to Ben. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Dan. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Oh, thanks. I thought for a minute you were going to give me the silent treatment. Thanks for talking to me. Um, It's great to see you. Um, We're now 10 weeks or so back into meeting on all three sites. Can you believe it? And I just want to say I think we're doing really well. And I want to thank you, particularly those of you that are serving faithfully. I know numbers of you are serving in multiple different areas in in the life of the church and we wouldn't be able to run without you and what you're doing so thank you so much and we've been particularly stretched at times I think in the last few weeks there's been numbers uh, isolating due to COVID or people being generally unwell so it's been a little bit like you know can we can we manage to do this, particularly uh, in our children's ministry? Have we got enough volunteers um, with production on three sites and still live streaming? Uh, have we got enough volunteers to do that? Have we, uh, great to have a full band this morning. So good to be able to worship God extravagantly. So if, if you're serving, if you're helping make this happen, I just want to applaud you and thank you so much for all that you're doing. I have the privilege in in my role of kind of supporting all three sites um, of traveling around. So last Sunday, um, I was leading worship at Fish Ponds. I'll be going on from here to preach again uh, there this morning. And it is just wonderful and a real joy to see people regathering, to see people encountering God together. So I just want to encourage you. It's that time of year where it can be a bit like, can we hold on to the end of the year? But I just want to encourage you. I think we're doing really, really well. And it's also wonderful uh, to have so many new people joining us at church. So if you're new uh, and I haven't met you, shame on me, but it's great to have you with us. I hope you're getting to know people uh, and enjoying God with us. Now, if you are just joining us, we are a few weeks into a series looking at what the uh, Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. It was one of the churches um, Paul had helped to plant. Um, As Christians moved out from Jerusalem, often they were scattered by persecution. Um, Paul had traveled around the Mediterranean preaching the gospel. Sounds quite a nice gig. I'd I'd be open to that. Um, And he'd spent a year and a half in Corinth, which is kind of in modern-day Greece. Um, And this church had been started. And then he'd moved on to Ephesus, where he'd stayed for about three years. That's modern-day Turkey. Um, And he was writing this letter back to the church in Corinth. Now, this is the last little bit of 1 Corinthians that we're going to look at together before Christmas. We've jumped around a bit in in the first part of the letter, particularly in the last couple of weeks. Um, But in the new year, Andy is going to pick up 
um, the stuff that we've missed out. In chapter 5, there's stuff on relationships and sexuality, and then that gets picked up again in chapters 6 and 7. So we're going to pick all that up in the new year. But we've seen in the first part of the letter how Paul is showing that leadership isn't about following this leader or that leader in some kind of cult of personality, you know, oh, we've just got to get close to Andy Cottingham because he's such a magnetic figure. I mean, he is. Um, but good leadership, what Andy's been sharing with us from Paul's letter, is about pointing people to Christ. And one of the themes that's come out so strongly is how the strong should serve the weak. And then last week, Andy so helpfully talked about marriage and singleness. I don't quite know how you managed to cover all of that in one preach, but it was amazing. And if you would like to carry on that conversation about um, relationships and singleness, whether you're married or single, there is a seminar next Sunday evening on Zoom. So today, we're going to be looking at the first few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But before we get there, just to help us get the flow of what Paul is writing, uh, I want to read the first few verses of chapter 4 again. So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Paul is saying in this little section that he's been called not to lead, not to dominate, but to serve. And that the ministry that's been entrusted to him is from God. And he's accountable to God for that, not to people. That doesn't mean that Christian leaders are exempt from accountability. Of course, they should be accountable. It's just to say that ultimately it's God who will judge their ministry. Judgment here in this chapter is very much about the kind of the fruit and the value of someone's ministry. And that's for God alone to judge its value. But in chapter 6, which we're going to read together now, it's, it's a different sense. Paul is talking about making a judgment between two people who are in dispute. So with that in mind, let's look together at today's passage. 1 Corinthians 6, starting at verse 1. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? 
I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. In the previous chapter, in chapter 5, Paul had written about how there had been sexual immorality in the church in Corinth. Paul wrote to them, incredulous that they seem to be almost celebrating that fact, as if it was some kind of mark of the freedom that grace brings. But grace isn't a license to just do whatever we want. And we still need to say when something is wrong in the church. In serious situations where the law is broken, it would be a misapplication of these verses that we've just read in chapter 6 to say, oh, we'll handle it in the church. You know, we're not, we're not going to go outside. We'll handle it ourselves. That looks a lot like covering up, doesn't it? And in chapter 5, Paul wrote that God will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. Sorry, I think that was chapter 4, actually. So if someone is in danger, if there's abuse or fraud or whatever it is, whatever criminal activity, then we just go to the police. And we're very blessed that in this country, we have a legal system which has the Christian faith in its very foundations. So there is this inbuilt sense of right and wrong. But we also have appropriate checks and balances in, the, in church life. We really believe in team. If that's not coming through loud and clear, then let me say it again. We really believe in team. And proper, kind of healthy, mutual accountability and transparency. That's why we have a team of elders. We have a staff team. We have site teams. We have teams leading ministries. And we welcome input and oversight from our commission family of churches. So we have John Groves who's a really wise and experienced pastor who gives us input. He's with us as a staff team this Thursday, spending time with us. Guy Miller, who leads the Commission Family of Churches, is preaching here next Sunday. So we invite and welcome input from others. And also, in our church, we have trustees. That's men and women who help maintain proper standards in all we do. I can see some of you here. And we love you. We're grateful for you. So it's absolutely appropriate within the church family to judge what is right and wrong and call out ungodly behavior. And it's in that context that Paul then writes what we've just read about lawsuits among believers. Have you ever been to court? I'm, don't worry, I'm not going to ask for a response here and now. I've been once or twice just supporting uh, friends or different people, either because they're a witness or, uh, or maybe they've been taken to court. Uh, thankfully, I've never been taken to court. I hope that never happens to me, but you, you, know, you never know. 
There was an instance, though, many years ago, um, Jess and I, through some mutual friends, got introduced to a couple, and they were telling a story about how their son had gone to a camp, and he'd been putting up his bed, it was like a camp bed, and one of the springs in this bed had come loose and sprang and into, he was really badly injured in his eye. I know really bad. And so Jess, being who she is, um, said, wow, that camp bed company are really lucky that you're Christians. Otherwise, you would have sued them for a lot of money. There was this kind of pause. And then the mother said, actually, we did sue them. (laughs) So the point of that story is not that um, Christians never take legal action. is there are so many situations, you know, for safety reasons, for the protection of vulnerable people, uh, to give me a funny story, no, to stand up against injustice. It's right that we use the power of the law and sometimes even take people to court. But what Paul is arguing in these verses is that Christian brothers and sisters shouldn't resort to legal action before they've tried to reconcile and resolve it themselves. Now, we don't know exactly what lawsuits Paul was referring to. Um, Academics believe that Paul was probably writing about civil lawsuits rather than criminal law. And it, it isn't, as I say, it isn't clear who was taking who to court or over what, but some have suggested that this was wealthier people suing those who have less, maybe because those people owed them money or they felt like they hadn't received the proper service that they'd paid for. What we just read in verse 7, why not rather be cheated, uh, can also be translated, why not rather be defrauded. If you're reading the ESV, I think you probably have defrauded. That implies that maybe these were money-related issues. Corinth was a shame-honor-based culture. We haven't got time to dig into that, but historically, the UK would be a law-guilt-based culture, and more like African and Asian cultures would be shame-honor-based. But that kind of culture meant that if there was a dispute about money, goods, or services, those who were wealthy and had status wouldn't want to lose face by even appearing to be to be being taken for a ride by someone of a lower social status. So to preserve their honor, they might go to court in order to be proved right. It doesn't mean they were right or even innocent. They might even pay bribes to ensure that their case would be successful. So in that context, everything was stacked in favor of those who had financial means. And Paul is challenging the church in Corinth that it should look very different in the church community. Now, I want us to think about this on two axes. So if you're a maths or science teacher, you're with me. Everyone else, just go with it. Okay, but uh, on a vertical and horizontal. So firstly, horizontally, there is this boundary between the church and the wider world. God wants us, as his church family, He calls us to higher standards 
than the world around us. So, for example, if the, the law of the land says don't kill, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, don't even hate someone in your heart. Pretty high standard. Can you see that? So as Paul writes in verse 1, if any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? What that amounts to is two believers who have given their lives to Christ, taking their dispute outside the church family to a judge who's not a believer, who doesn't have the same godly perspective or standards, to judge between them what's right and wrong. By suing someone from their own church family, they're making the legal system a higher authority than what God had said to them in his word. And by ignore, and ignoring how that truth should be lived out and applied by the people of God. So that's the horizontal. Then there's the vertical access, axis with those who are wealthier and privileged at the top and people who are poorer and have little or no status at the bottom. As I've said, it's likely that uh, from the context that wealthier Christians were taking advantage of those who had less. You might expect that in the world generally, you know, that kind of survival of the fittest mentality. Well, of course, you know, of course they're going to prevail, of course they're going to win. But in the church, those with power and influence are to serve and care for those who are more disadvantaged. So Paul is challenging the church in Corinth on both of those axes, and he's challenging us too. Now, just a little side note here, but a really important point. It is a massive misunderstanding to assume that Christians are judgmental of others. The whole point of what Paul is writing here is that Christians should hold one another to account, but there's no expectation on a non-believer that they would act in the same way. Why would they? They're not trying to live God's way. They're not living their lives in response to what Jesus has done. So as Christians, we don't seek to impose our standards on the world or judge them for their behavior. But within God's family, it is right to hold one another to account on how we're living. Not in a legalistic way. Oh, you know, Danco, I saw you, you know. You know, not in a legalistic way, but in, sorry, I'm not going to expose Danco, um, but um, helping one another honor God and to become more like Jesus. Paul writes in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 6, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Paul is saying it's better to be wronged, better to be cheated and be full of grace rather than be right or think that you're right but have a heart that's out to get even. And we can do that. We can be full of grace because of Jesus. Because of him, we know what mercy looks like. He's demonstrated it on the cross. He considered us who didn't deserve mercy or forgiveness, he considered us worthy of dying for. 
And so for us, if you know how merciful God's been to you, man, do I know how merciful he's been to me. With the Holy Spirit's help, then, we can be merciful to others. That's what the world needs to see. Not Christians falling out and taking out lawsuits against one another, but a loving and merciful community. So, let's make this really practical. If another Christian borrows something of yours and breaks it, maybe you'd say to them, don't worry about it. If they're a a Christian as well, maybe, or you're both Christians, maybe uh, they should be thinking about how they can replace it. If, If you're both part of the church, you should both be looking for ways to outdo one another in kindness, in generosity, in mercy and grace. If you're well off and someone borrows something from you and they don't have the means to replace it, then the Christ-like thing is to let them off. If you borrow something from someone who's worse off than you and you lose it or break it, maybe God would stir you not only to replace it, but to bless them by getting them something better. Years ago, a friend of mine um, borrowed a bike from an older man in his church um, to take to university. And I think he had it with him the whole time at uni. Um, And he moved around. uh, You know, if you've ever been a student, student, it's like halls and then a flat and then maybe house share. So this bike moved around with him at uni. But somewhere in all the moves, I think this bike got lost, it got left in a shed, or anyway, it went missing. And then a while later, this older man asked my friend uh, about the bike. I don't know whether he wanted it back, or uh, was just wondering, you know, is is it serving you well, kind of thing. And my friend had to admit, he didn't know where it was, and he'd lost it. Now, this older man, rather than getting really cross, or, you know, and you could feel self-righteous in getting cross, couldn't you? Or giving him a lecture on responsibility, or asking him to replace the bike, or expressing his extreme disappointment. This man was totally gracious and understanding. I think that's amazing. I get a bit twitchy when I've lent someone some books and I haven't had them back for ages, you know, just sharing how sinful I am. Why is my wife nodding? So, um, and if I was in that situation, I might use it as an excuse. Oh, I'm just not going to lend things because people aren't responsible. No, he was, he was wonderfully gracious and merciful. James uh, 2 verse 13 Uh, which was in my Bible readings, I think yesterday, says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Isn't that wonderful? Mercy triumphs over judgment. And Paul is saying uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, unity is more valuable than getting back what you're owed. One of the best pieces of of advice I ever got from uh, my pastor of the church I was in for many years in London was to move towards other people. So if there's a problem with someone else, if there's a dispute, if there's a difference of opinion, move towards them. Often what we do when we're upset with someone is we withdraw, don't we? You're allowed to smile at me. 
we, we kind of give them the silent treatment. We think, it's in their court. They need to come to me. I'm the wronged one. You know, I'll, I'll just wait and I'll let them come. But my old pastor's advice was, move towards them. Strive for unity. Try to talk to them about it. Understand where they're coming from and help them to understand where you're coming from. I think that's one of the best pieces of advice. There may, you, there may be a situation you're in right now and maybe you've kind of, you know you've pulled back from someone. I'd encourage you, move towards them. And actually, if you end up taking someone to court, there are no winners. Paul says in verse 7, if it comes to that, you're already completely defeated. Aside from how divisive that is in the church family, it damages our witness to the world. It harms the gospel witness of the church if we're divisive and attacking one another. And how will we grow in extending mercy to other people if we can't even be merciful amongst ourselves? Division damages mission but unity underlines the message. I'll say that again. Division damages mission, but unity underlines the message. If you believe that, then we need to find grace for one another. And of course, we should try to resolve our differences without taking each other to court. Don't worry, if you've borrowed one of my books, I'm not going to take you to court. It's okay. Now, it might not as be as extreme, as criminal an activity as not giving me back one of my books. Um, I'm not looking at anyone in particular. Um, but think about um, the other kind of courts that we have. We have the court of, a pub, of public opinion, don't we? In that court, you can be judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah, just a few carefully you know, worded things on social media, and you can bring down someone's reputation. That's the court of public opinion. It's the same in friendship circles or at work. If someone's upset you, then just a few whispers, you know, or just speak to the, the office gossip or whatever, and you can probably do enough to get someone socially frozen out or harm them professionally. That is not how someone who loves Jesus should act. And what about relationships? What if a dating relationship or even a marriage breaks up and there's a lot of hurt and there's issues of custody and access to children and division of assets? Surely that's where our faith should make the most difference. Finding grace in life's toughest moments but in those situations, you're probably going to need help and support from others. The point is that if you can't resolve a dispute or a difference of opinion and you get stuck, you don't want to let it escalate out of control. And if it feels like it is escalating, then you may need help to resolve it. Paul writes in verse 5 of chapter 6, slightly sarcastically maybe, is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Do you need to ask for help from an older, wiser person?
person in the church that you both trust. Where you can say, can you help us work this through? We're finding this really tough. You might want to speak to one of your site team or one of the elders or your connect group leader or the person who leads the ministry that you serve in. Not doing it in a telltale way. Oh, well, Jess said this and she did that and she didn't bring me a cup of tea this morning and things like that. Not, not in that kind of telltale way, but with a genuine heart for resolution of the issue and reconciliation of hearts. Now, if you're here today and you're struggling with these very issues, or maybe you're not a Christian and you've seen how the church can be so divided at times and you just think, well, why would I want to be part of that? I want to remind you that we're all human. We're not perfect and we let one another down at times. But because of Jesus, we aren't defined by our worst moments. None of us are defined by the worst things we've ever done. You and the person you're in dispute with have probably both got some things wrong. But if you're a Christian, you don't need to prove your innocence. You don't need to prove that you're in the right because you've put your hope and trust in someone else. As we read in chapter 4, at the end of our lives, we will stand before God and he will judge our lives. In that courtroom, we're all going to fall short. There isn't anybody that's going to be like, hey, here I am, holy and perfect, ready for heaven. No, we're all going to fall short. We're all guilty. God is a perfect, holy judge. He's perfectly just. He never lets anyone off the hook. It's wonderful, but it's also terrible because we're all on the hook. And he cannot abide any sin. It separates us from his presence. And the penalty for our sin, the things we've done wrong, is death. That's all the bad news. But in his perfect son, Jesus, God offered himself on our behalf and died on the cross. In doing that, Jesus took the sentence that was due to us. For everything we've ever done wrong, every selfish, sinful, unkind thought, word, or action. He suffered death so that you and I could go free. And all you have to do to receive his mercy and forgiveness is to put your trust in Jesus. When you do that, he comes to live in you by his Holy Spirit. And he changes you so that you can treat others with the same mercy that you've received. As a church, we want to help others find the mercy of God, don't we? Let's not create unnecessary division in the church. Let's not allow disputes and conflict to escalate. Let's find healthy ways to resolve our differences and focus on showing the world what forgiveness and unity looks like. Can we stand up and pray together? And if the band could come back, that would be fantastic. Father, we want to thank you for sending your son, Jesus. 
we believe that his sacrifice makes us right with you. And we believe that he died to reconcile the world to yourself. Father, please make us people of reconciliation. Help us to keep short accounts with one another and short accounts with you. To deal with bitterness and unforgiveness and to resolve our differences with mercy and grace. I pray for anyone here today who's struggling with these issues. Holy Spirit, just come and meet with them. Give them grace for today and help them to show mercy just as you showed mercy to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
while we were worshiping, I was just, um, I felt like God just laid on my heart people that feel like it is too much. Ben's been talking about forgiveness and some of you have been wounded so deeply that to even say what's happened to you out loud is painful and difficult for you to say. But God sees and knows. And I just really feel like there's people here feel like it is too much, but that God wanted to remind you that nothing is impossible with Christ. And we've been singing about his name, what a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. And that's not something abstract that's far from us. But if you have given your life to Jesus, if you are in Christ, you carry his presence. His spirit is in you. If you are a Christian, you are a little Christ. And the Holy Spirit is at work in you. And that thing that feels impossible to forgive, that thing that feels impossible to let go of, is impossible for you to do, but it is not impossible for those that are in Christ. There is no rival to Christ. There is nothing that he cannot defeat or overcome. So if that is you, I just really encourage you to bring that, bring that burden, bring that hurt to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you help me now to let go of that, to release that debt that is owed to me? Would you help me, Holy Spirit? And Jesus will help you.
I just want to draw together those two things because I think it's crucial that we understand how they connect. See, when Jesus um, walked on the earth, he was the embodiment of God. He was God. And that means he carries all the same authority and power. But if you read the words of scripture, if you see how he related to people, if you understand how he spoke, the way he addressed people, the way he saw actually into their hearts often, understood where they'd come from, that that authority didn't distance him from people, that when he reached out his arms to people, when he embraced them, when he spoke kindly to them, he wasn't leaving the authority and the power behind, but he was wrapping it up in his love and affection in that moment. And so just like Jess encouraged us, no matter where we come from, no matter what has happened to us, and it could be the worst of the worst, Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, reaches out his arms to you today with all that authority and power and that victory, with the fact that he has won every single battle, with the fact that he carries with him the power from creation to the end of everything. He speaks to you today. He says, I am with you. I love you. I accept you. That in me you can forgive. That in me you can have the power to even forget. For it to not be the thing that occupies every waking moment for you. But it could be left behind. It's the combination of the two that is so crucial. Without both, it's merely a man being empathetic towards us and kind. Or it's merely a God who is so far distant and so different to us. But it is in the both in Jesus. That means he can look you in the eye and embrace you. So just like Jess shared and just like Emma sang, I want to encourage you this morning. This is a moment maybe for one or two of you here this morning to come before the Lord Jesus Christ and to ask for his help. To take that thing that you hold so tightly and to lay it before the cross of Jesus where he paid the price for it and wants to relieve you of it, that you will walk free. I'm going to pray. And I want to encourage you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge this morning, we echo those words that you are victorious, that you have all authority in heaven and on earth. And we come to you, Lord King Jesus, the Lord of all. We come to you knowing that you welcomed us first that you reached out your arms to us first before we even knew who you really were you reached down to us in coming to the earth Jesus you reached out you made the first move and Jesus we come to you this morning we lay before you the things that grip us so deeply we lay them before you because it's only you that can cleanse us of them it's only you that can relieve the pain 
So we come, we lay all those things before you, all our stresses, all our panics, all our crazy trauma, everything that's gone on in our lives, we lay it before you, Jesus. And we pray, would you come, Holy Spirit, right now and cleanse us, purify us, heal us. Come with that softness, that kindness, that compassion, that grace that washes us clean. Not because we deserve it or because we've somehow found some clever answer, but because you love us. We receive it this morning. We receive your love. Would you heal us in Jesus' name? Amen. Yeah. 
future coming in a day that we will see, oh God, that we will see you face to face. Your son will return and will call us to be with you forever, that you are preparing a place for us. But this is a reality that we're singing. Sing it again. every week um, and communion is a way that we remember Jesus's death and resurrection as a church family it's where we acknowledge how he died for us and he rose again so um, I'm just going to read something from Corinthians um, it says the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you are a follower of Jesus today, uh, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take some bread, it's gluten-free, and we're gonna take some juice kind of dotted around the church and we are going to remember Jesus' death and resurrection that we can be reconciled to him like Ben was talking about how we have been brought close to Jesus through his death and how we've been brought close to each other that even if we have those things even if we are harboring kind of bitterness or unforgiveness that through Jesus' death we can be brought close to other people we can be brought close to him we can have that forgiveness in our hearts so um, I invite you today just to come if you are a follower of Jesus. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you haven't kind of said, yep, I'm all in, I, I want to follow you, this meal isn't for you, but God still invites you today. Today, God invites you to come and to experience his freedom, that reconcilia reconciliation, that forgiveness 
you can know freedom and peace and forgiveness today if that's not something that you have ever done. So I invite you, if that's not you, just just leave it. Don't worry, there'll be multiple people if you just kind of just leave it. Don't go off and grab one. But I'd, I'd invite you to kind of say a prayer in your heart, to invite God into your life. God wants to do that. He wants to meet with us today. Um, but for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I'd encourage you to turn to someone next to you or just kind of on your own. Um, and I think let's kind of respond to what's been said. I think that obviously some of us, like Jess was saying, have experienced a huge amount of hurt and pain from other people. Um, but some of us might be sitting there thinking, oh, that's not really me. And oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm quite loving to those around me. But I think all of us, if we were kind of honest in our hearts, we've probably harbored some bitterness or unforgiveness. And kind of even, even if it's not actually come out of our mouths, we've probably done it in our hearts. And I'm definitely guilty of that. And I'm sure probably most of us in this room are as well. So I'd encourage you, turn to the person next to you and take a moment to remember what Jesus has done for us so that we can be reconciled to him, we can be reconciled to each other and that we can know true forgiveness. Um, so come and do that now. We'll just spend a couple minutes just doing that together as a church family. This is something we do together, that unity, okay? So find someone around you, turn and pray with them and let's...
in in Philippians 2, uh, Paul writes these words. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be taken advantage of, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the de- point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thank you that, as Emma was singing, God, you are authoritative and glorious and all-powerful. You're the king. And yet, we read here that this, this awesome God, the one who holds everything together, will humble himself, becoming a human, but a servant, and would die for the world, for the broken and the sinful. Thank you for this bread and juice that so simply and beautifully points to us that fact. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved us and you gave yourself for us. Amen. Amen. Um, We're almost done, guys, with our time this morning, but it's a bit back to front today because the sermon was a bit earlier. Um, So we're going to end with uh, an interview. Um, So... I'm going to invite Nathan Winner up here, and we're going to interview Nathan, and then uh, we'll end with some notices. Now, <laughs> hello, mate. Um, this is quite funny because uh, me and Nathan we live together, um, so Nathan's one of my housemates, which is great fun. Um, you're right, mate. I'm good, um, thank you. So we're going to just ask a few questions. Won't take too long. Uh, to start with. I uh, don't want to go to the two serious questions straight away. I'm going to ask Nathan a few simple, like, quick-fire questions, and Nathan's just going to give a quick answer, uh, the first thing that comes to his head. So we sort of trial run this a little bit last night, but sort of. But um, All right, mate, you ready? There's about seven of them here. Pizza um, or burger? Pizza. Brownie or cookie? Brownie. Night out or night in? Night in. TV or Sorry. film? Uh, film. Inside or outside? Outside. Winter or summer? Summer. <laughs> Ketchup or brown sauce? Brown sauce. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Fair play. Sorry. Controversial. Sorry. <laughs> um, awesome. Okay, thanks, mate. Um, so a couple of questions, brother. So firstly, um, how long have you been in Bristol? Uh, I've been in Bristol for about five years. And what brought you to Bristol? Uh, university actually brought me to Bristol. Um, I wasn't meant to be in Bristol, I don't think. Um, it wasn't my first choice, but I think God had a way in that and brought me to Bristol for that reason. What did you study? Uh, I studied chemistry. Come on. Um, and, met how, and, then, and with that, then, how did you, how did you come to know Jesus? Mm, very good question. <laughs> um, 
So it was more of a journey than, than a sort of a moment that, that, that I came to Christ. Um, sort of started in my second year. Um, I lived with three Christians, um, and they invited me along to an alpha course. Um, and after about eight weeks of that, I was, I was convinced I believed in Jesus. He was you know, the Messiah. He, he came to lay down his life for us. And um, there were still a few questions, though, which I wasn't too sure about. And that was, if the freedom or the freedom that God was willing to give me, was that better, worse than the freedom that I thought I already had? Um, and obviously the answer to that is yes, absolutely, definitely. Um, but I still wasn't sure, um, and so I came along to church, and one of the main things which stuck in my head for that was the worship. Um, everybody was so into the, into the worship of, of Jesus and that he's the king. Um, and I think in my third year of university, um, I encountered the Holy Spirit, um, and that was such a, an awesome feeling. I had no idea what to expect, but I started to get goosebumps, I started smiling, and it was just an amazing feeling. Um, and I think after that, I was then baptized in 2020, I think, so about two years ago. Um, yeah, an incredible feeling. Sweet. Well, um, what is Alpha? You mentioned Alpha. You yeah, so Alpha, um, uh, it's, um, it's a course where you can go on. I say it's a course, that sounds quite, um, <laughs> yeah, quite intelligent. Um, it's, <laughs> um, it's basically a course where you can go on to uh, learn more about faith, learn more about who Jesus is, why Jesus came um, to, to earth, um, who the Holy Spirit is, how you can encounter the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, just a lot of big questions about life, about faith, and about Jesus. Um, and I'd sort of grown up in a, in a non-Christian household, so I didn't really know any of, these, any of these questions, any of the answers to these questions, and so this was the best place to explore that. Um, yeah, I would highly recommend going on it if you have friends who, who want to know more, or um, if you've got family members who want to know more, it's a, it's a great way to learn about Jesus. Yeah, and we, we often run Alpha courses as a church. So if you want to find out more about that, then you can chat to me at the end. Um, I was going to ask one more question. Uh, I think yeah. it's really important, isn't it? Sometimes when we hear people's stories, we tend to only think about like how they came to faith. I think it's really good to ask, because you've been following God now for quite a while. It's good to kind of ask, well, what has it been like since? Um, so what has God been doing in your life since? Mm beginning of like pre-COVID times. Yeah, God has been doing amazing things in my life, um, more so than I could have ever imagined, really. Um, so I graduated from university, didn't really know what I was going to do. Um, God blessed me with a job. God blessed me with a house with five amazing housemates, um, which, <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd get that in. Um, but he's also blessed me in other ways, um, in ways to serve him. He's blessed me to, to help lead an Alpha course, um, to lead a connect group, um, and to, to help serve the church as well. Um, and so I thank God for, for everything that he's given me. Every good thing in, in my life is, is from him. Mate, you're a great man. That's awesome. I, I might really quickly pray for Nath. And then, um, and then we've got some notes as then we're done. Lord God, thank you for Nathan. Thank you for his story. Thank you. He's a, he's a brother of mine. He's a mate of mine. And, and he, you've called him into this family. God, thank you for uh, how you've worked in his life, Jesus, and how you are growing him and changing him, Lord God. And we thank you for his heart of love for you, God. And we pray you continue to bless him on that journey, Lord God. May he continue to be rooted in you, and may you build him and grow him uh, in his faith and his love for you, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Um, we are going to watch a short video. Uh, it's going to give us a bit of a heads up about what's going on, and then...
we're pretty much done after that. Hello, my name's James. I lead the Cotton site here. Uh, and I want to tell you about a really special event that's happening on Sunday the 12th of December, which is our annual carol service. It's going to be happening here at the Elm Grove Centre at 8pm. Uh, and it's a great opportunity to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're going to be singing carols. There's going to be readings and a short talk. And rather than it just being an event for us here at City Church together, we want to encourage everyone to invite somebody along with them. It's a great opportunity. It is the easiest Sunday, easiest service to invite someone along to. So why don't you think about who you can bring along to that carol service on Sunday the 12th of December. There are other things happening on that day too. So we've got a family-friendly carol service happening up at the Bradley Stoke site in the morning. They're also holding a scratch nativity the week after on the 19th up at Bradley Stoke. So that's going to be a lot of fun uh, as well. So we'd encourage you to get along to those things too. So um, if you were here last week, last Sunday night, just a cracking prayer meeting for uh, uh, Jamie and Debbie at the Bradley Stoke site. Um, of course, if you've worked it out, praying for them to go to Leicester means that we're going to not have a site leader in Bradley Stoke. I just want to let you know that as elders, trustees, leaders, we are looking for a site leader in Bradley Stoke, uh, um, you know, obviously to fill the role. Um, so that's what we're doing. If you want to know anything else about that, please talk to me, one of the elders, or maybe one of the trustees. Give us a wave if you're a trustee. It's just you, Sarah. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, yeah, oh, thanks so much, Sam, at the back. So just let you know that, um, and do pray that God leads us uh, to the right the right appointment. So thanks so much. That's the end of our meeting together. God bless you. Please go pick your children up. Is that what I was to say? Oh, we've got another thing. So, not quite. <laughs> Two things. I'll make them really quick. First one, uh, there is a Sunday service tonight at seven. It's amazing. It's quality. It's great to get to know different types of people in a smaller setting. So go. It's in the small hall. Second notice, there's a woman's breakfast next Saturday. Yep. <laughs> thanks, Emma. Thanks for the enthusiasm. Next Saturday, 9.30 to 11.30, get to eat breakfast. If you're a woman, sorry, that's, it's a woman's breakfast, um, to come, chat, hang out with different types of people, um, and there'll be like a short kind of, it's not really a talk, but a bit of a discussion about mentoring and discipleship, um, just to point out, even if you are not wanting to be a mentor or like fully commit to being a mentor or to be mentored, please still come, okay? It'll be a great opportunity just to hang out as women in the church, um, and you get to eat food, so like it's a win-win. Um, and final notice before you go, there's a baptism service, so linking to kind of what Dan was talking to Nathan about, there's a baptism service on the 23rd of Jan. So if you are sat there thinking, you know what, I'd actually call myself a Christian, but I've somehow never been baptized, 23rd of Jan is the date to do it. So come and find someone who looks like they know what they're talking about, probably Andy, and just let him know if you want to get baptized. Right, go and get your kids. Uh, if you have kids, have a lovely week and go have nice lunches with people. Let's be sociable. Have a great day.